0: Open your Bibles with me to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 2. We are continuing in our series on how to study the Bible, and we're laying some groundwork. We have looked at how not to be deceived, rightly dividing the word of truth this morning, I want to answer this question. Is the King James Bible too hard to read? Is the King James Bible too hard to read? And I do have a little booklet for you. Now, we have some guys at the front, so they're they're standing here. If you did not get one of these, raise your hands. Children, everyone, I want you to have one. So if you didn't get one, they're going to come by your row. When they come by your row, make sure that, uh, that you get one of these. Um, Jacob, my ungrateful son who really needs the words to that song was commenting on the quality of the graphics on the front of this. And what did you say about it? Oh, just, it's incredible. Um, You can't judge a book by its cover. (laughs) Oh, so this question, it comes up a lot. Is the King James Bible too hard to read? At a church like ours where we go Line upon line, precept upon precept, we preach through books of the Bible, other than when we take special times like this to do a series on a a, a different topic, but we're generally verse by verse by verse, explaining the words, going through it. It's a little bit easier in a church service where we come to an unusual word and I define it for you. In discipleship, where it's a one-on-one teaching time, where you disciplers can teach your disciple, it's less of an issue. Really, the time this comes up more than any is when we have a new family that comes to the church who they learned to read the Bible from a different translation, and so the King James language is a little unusual for them, or new believers, they've just come to know the Lord as Savior, and they're learning to read the Bible, and the language in the King James Bible is is just different than your normal daily conversation, And so it's a legitimate question. Is the King James Bible too hard to read? And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Let's go to the Lord and ask him to help us. Lord, please help us as we study your word. Lord, it's good that we do have a single authority here at Grace Baptist. And we, of course, we're not judging the spirituality of anyone else. The heartbeat of this is uh, for us to be able to answer this question. So, Father, I pray that you'll help us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we get to the text, and we will get there in a minute, um, I want to see if you all. And we're answering this question is the King James Bible too hard to understand. So fill in these words for me and see if you're able to do this. Everybody? My country of sweet land of liberty of I sing. Now it didn't seem like you struggled there. How many of you, how many of you had that one? You got it? Okay. Alright, so, so far we're passing. Alright, America, America, God, His grace on, and crown, good with brotherhood, from sea to shining sea. How many of you did okay with that one? You, you, are, are we doing okay so far? Got the language? Are we, we're not struggling. No one passed out yet, okay? Let's keep, let's, let's see if we can, it's gonna get harder. This is the sixth commandment. See, you ready? Not kill. Okay, so we've got that. How many of you know that that means don't do it? Yeah, are, we, are we doing okay? All right. So should it just say don't do it? Should we change it? Okay. Jesus said, what do you think that is? Good. Okay, so Jesus said, thou love thy neighbor as thyself. Now, how many of you know what that verse means? All right, so let's keep going. Jesus said, For is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever? Amen. Amen. Juliet said... Now, it makes me sad. Maureen knew that, but she didn't know those other... No, she did. <laughs> she did. She's our artsy one, so I have to point that out. Or one of our artsy ones, I should say. By the way, uh, we were thinking about because you know i 'm twelve, you had all the people up here on the platform, and so we had the giants and the hobbits <laughs> those little girls up here, with all these giants, it was awesome all right i haven 't had much sleep, so let let's let 's try to keep this going. Lincoln said four, and seven years ago, our fathers brought. On this continent, a new nation, and you could probably all finish it, right? Conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. So there's 16 words that most people would consider archaic or things that we we probably wouldn't use. Tis, thee, shed, thy, thou, shalt, thyself, thine, amen, oh, wherefore, art, score, forth, lest, and ye. 16 words. So... This is something that I will hear. Why do we need all the these and thous? That's, that's one of the main things that people say about the King James. Would you all agree with that? Why do we need the these and thous? We're going to answer that. And some of the other language, some of the words that are difficult, and there are words in there that are difficult. James Knox, in his book, By Definition, that's this book. We have it in the bookstore. I'd really recommend that you get it. If you don't have it, by definition. I'm going to be quoting a few things from it today. If you will carefully examine the text of the authorized version, you will find fewer than 190 words which are not readily known and understood by the average reader. So what James Knox did when he got ready to write this book was he read through his Bible twice. Each time when he would come across a word that that was not familiar, that might not be familiar to someone, he would mark it. He would make a note of it. And he expanded that into this book by definition, so it's a just a book of Bible words and defining the Bible words in their context. Um, he also has in this several appendices which are are just fantastic um, Rules for writers here's the parts of the speech you you English teachers are going to love this three little words you often see our articles, A, N, and, and D, and he goes through and describes those things. Here's another rules for writers. Verbs has to agree with their subjects. I always wanted Magic Johnson to learn that when he was calling NBA games. Prepositions are not words to end sentences with. And don't start a sentence with a conjunction. It is wrong to ever split an infinitive. Avoid cliches like the plague, their old hat. Also, always avoid annoying alliteration. Be more or less specific. Parenthetical remarks, parenthesis however relevant, unparenthesis, close parenthesis, are parenthesis usually, close parenthesis unnecessary. Also, too, never ever use repetitive redundancies. No sentence fragments. Contractions aren't necessary and shouldn't be used. Just there's a whole bunch of things like that. So, Brother Knox, um, when he graduated from high school, I don't think he was saved yet. He went to college. He got his first. He got two four-year degrees in two years. One in literature. One in journalism. And so he's really good with language. And so look at this statement right here. This is from this book that I was just reading. If you will carefully examine the text of the authorized version, you will find fewer than 190 words which are not readily known and understood by the average reader. Just 190 words. Um, David W. Daniels, who wrote this King James Bible Companion, and I gave you this so you can just keep it in your Bible for when you're doing your daily Bible reading. He says that there are probably 600 unfamiliar words in the King James Bible. A couple of things will help you. There are hundreds of thousands of words in the English language. There are about 5,000, maybe 5,500 unique words in the King James. So there's something like 13,000 unique words, but there's forms of the same word. If you boil it down to the root word, there are about 8,000. 2,600 of those are place names. Or proper names. And so if you take Mephibosheth out. And some of these other things. Like, like everyone wants to name their daughter Milka. Isn't that a great name? Maybe not. You may name your daughter Bovina. <laughs> Something like that. So there's these names in the Bible. So when you take the the proper names and places out. There's only about 5, unique or 5,500 unique words. The average kindergartner. When they enter school, has a working knowledge of between 2,500 and 5,000 words. And then they they gain words. Over the next couple of years, they'll gain a 1,000 words a year maybe, but they'll have a working understanding of some 25,000 words. Now, I'm not saying that they understand the archaic words or what are identified as archaic words in the Bible. That's not what I'm saying. I'm giving you the number of words that people learn. And for whatever field you choose, there's going to be a language. If you're in construction, there are certain things that you need to know. If you're a doctor, of course, there are terms that none of us understand what they are, unless you're a doctor. If you're in music, there are things that you know that other people wouldn't know. There are terms of art and I, I, I would only know a few of them because my musical training is, you know, back in the Stone Age. But, you know, an arpeggio or something like that, that most people, what, what in the world is that? Is that, is that, you know, isn't that Pinocchio's dad? I, I don't know. Um, so you have these, these words, terms of art that whatever field you go into, you're going to have to learn them. And so when we get into this subject of the language of the Bible, are there words in the Bible that are unfamiliar? Absolutely. To a person who hasn't read the Bible. If you've read the Bible a lot, they become familiar to you. But if you haven't read the Bible a lot, they are certainly unfamiliar. And that—that's a—it it is a question that we have to answer. The answer to difficulty in Bible reading and comprehension is not to wander about in the Greek and Hebrew sections of the Strong's Concordance. Because understand, Greek and Hebrew won't help you understand the English. Is that helpful? Do you know why? It's a different language or those are different languages, okay? Nor to seek a modern language version, which is easier to understand. The solution is to take the time to improve one's vocabulary. Again, this is from Brother Knox. In other words, learn the words. Learn the words. There are Bible words that any of us who have been around the King James Bible for any length of time, once you learn the word and become familiar with it, you just know it. it. It's no longer a stumbling block or a problem. So there are... Unusual or difficult words, whether you take uh, uh, Daniel's count of 600 or Knox's count of 190. Um, I also have here Lawrence Vance's book, Archaic Words in the Authorized Version. And this is an extensive dictionary cataloging every word, but then he shows how many of these words are used in modern versions or in modern publications. And I really recommend that you get all three, or I've got three books here I want to talk to you about, uh, but definitely get both of these and have them in your library. They'll help you immensely in your Bible reading. But there's also historical work that goes into it. Very helpful. So the the key is to improve your vocabulary, but I want to give you some more information. Uh, Here's a question, a common question. But the King James translator said, Their translation was for the common man, and the common man today can't read it. How many of you have ever heard that argument? This book is called Authorized, The Use and Misuse of the King James Bible. Authorized, The Use and Misuse of the King James Bible by Mark Ward. Mark Ward graduated from Bob Jones University and um, went to work for a a company that uh, creates Bible software. And... Basically, his argument in this book, which in this little book, it's really having an impact among believers, and it's just a little book. Um, if I'm being honest, his arguments are, um, and I don't want to be ugly about it, they're very childish. They're, as a matter of fact, his main objection to the King James Bible was that his six-year-old couldn't understand it. That's the crux. And then he was doing ministry in the inner city, and uh, certain verses children were having a hard time memorizing. That, that's the crux of his argument. And if, if it was only a matter of difficult words, if that was the issue, well, then we would just make the words easier. Um, I was just going through a passage with someone and they were having a hard time with it because the language is very difficult. It's a passage in, see, the 1st or 2nd Corinthians. And so what I did was I read it for him in the ESV, the English Standard Version, and then I read it for him in the, the um, New American Standard Bible. And in that particular section, they all said the same thing. Do you know why it was hard to understand? Because Paul was hard to understand. What did Peter say about Paul in his writings? Of which some are hard to be understood. What do you have? You have the educated, one of the most best educated men in the world at that point, and a fisherman. The fisherman was saying, boy, that Paul, he's a doozy. That's in the Bible. Well, the doozy's not. (laughs) The, The sentiment is. So it, that it, it's sometimes the Bible is just hard to understand, and if you make it easy to understand in those places, it's no longer the Bible. Is that fair? See, we uh, I, there was a man. Um, so our friend Rick Rust that was here, the church planting ministry guy. His pastor is a guy named Jason Georges. I watched a message uh, that he preached yesterday uh, on, online, and he said he made a great statement. We must be um, compassionate toward literacy and committed to accuracy. It's more important that it's right than that it's easy. Right? How many of you think it's a really good idea to dumb down um, the physical requirements for the military? Let's make it easier. I think that's a bad idea. Why? Because if, if somebody has to carry me off the field, I want them to be able to do it. Right? There's a reason why you have to have a certain level of physical fitness. Dumbing that down does not make us better. Dumbing us down as far as the actual words of truth doesn't make us better. Because something is easier, that doesn't necessarily make it better. These are the arguments that, that Mark Ward uses, and I'm going to be quoting some of those. And he brings this argument up, that the King James translators said their translation was for the common man. So this is from the translators to the reader. This is in the front of your Bible for many of you. Some Bibles don't print it. This is their introduction to the King James Bible. They said, quote, we desire that the scripture may speak like itself as in the language of Canaan, that it may be understood even of the very vulgar. The very vulgar. No, we're not talking about the deacons. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) The very vulgar, that just means common. That's that's the idea, the very vulgar. Does that mean that the language of the Bible should be base, should be banal, should be uh, coarse? Of course not. That's not what the King James translators were saying, or they would have translated one like that. They didn't. They used elevated speech. And so this argument that it was translated for the common man, here's the argument that that, that Mark Ward is making in his book. And let me just say, I'm sure Mark Ward's a great guy. I'm, I'm not casting aspersions on his character or anything like that. It's just his arguments are very weak. And it seems like, it, it, it seems that he really doesn't have any idea what he's talking about. When he makes a statement like, The common fisherman or the common laborer in 1611, that that's who the the King James Bible was translated for. Now, I meant to look this up, but I doubt there was 100% literacy in the English-speaking world in 1611. Is that fair? that's not who it was made for, and I'm going to demonstrate that. The idea that it was made for uneducated people, it's just not true. That's, That's not what they were doing. Was the King James ever intended for a child or an uneducated reader? This is from Lawrence Vance's book, and it's this book, King James, His Bible, and Its Translators, and again, we have this in the bookstore. This is the third book I recommend that you get. It's a series of essays, and it's just some of the best stuff that you'll ever read, and it's not written... Uh, in a difficult way, quote, the archaic tone of the authorized version is deliberate and has the effect of elevating the language of the Bible. It's very important that you understand. Sometimes we'll see one of my favorite ever, one of my favorite all-time commercials on TV was you have these scribes or whatever from, you know, the dark ages, and it's the oldest joke in the book. And he says, lookest thou over there, And the guy looks, huh? Madest thou look? (laughs) That's just hilarious because it's the oldest joke in the book. Okay, so maybe the level of my humor is not great. (laughs) I think that's hilarious. People didn't talk like that. The the language of the King James Bible was not the way that people spoke. It's biblical language. And, And I'm going to show you that. So, the argument that Ward is making in this book is that since the King James was the language of the common people, then we need Bibles like the NIV or whatever that are very, very simple. And, and I'm not saying this about the NIV because it's not this simple. But the idea of, of a translation being something that a child can learn. And this book influenced a guy named Brian Sams. who used to teach at West Coast Baptist College. He had a podcast where he had Mark Ward on and that was the illustration that he used that his son he was reading a passage of scripture to a 6-year-old and his son said i don't understand that verse and so he he kind of translated it for his son he put it in in a 6-year-old to a 6-year-old's understanding and his 6-year-old said well then why doesn't it just say that and so he changed his bible Why do you have to go to work, Daddy? Oh, I guess I just won't go to work. My six-year-old wants me to be with him. That's so noble. Why do I have to why do I have to eat my vegetables? Oh, you don't. You don't want to? Oh, precious. You don't have to. If I'd eaten my vegetables, I'd look like Aiden. It's so important that we understand that these are these are spurious nonsensical arguments. Would you all agree with that? Just, how many of you want your doctor to have the understanding of a six-year-old? How many of you want your theologians to have an understanding of a six-year-old? It, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. And so, it's important to understand that the language of the King James Bible is deliberate. This is from Geddes McGregor. He was... Um, a leading philologist, a studier of words, the origin of words, the language and style of the King James Version were becoming just a little archaic even by the time it was published. It wasn't the latest and greatest. It was never intended to be. This is from David Norton. David Norton is from New Zealand. He's probably the leading King James scholar in the world, Uh, probably not a believer The English people of the 16th century were learning a new English. Okay, wait a minute. I thought it was the common language. The English people of the 16th century were learning a new English. However simple, the language of the Protestant translators may now seem archaisms apart, however simple it may seem. It had much in it that the people had to learn before they could understand and appreciate it. They had to learn it. What's interesting is Ward quotes David Norton quite a bit in this book, but not that. Huh. I wonder why. It's interesting, isn't it? As a matter of fact, David Norton, this leading scholar, cites Lawrence Vance all the time, who has our position. David Norton doesn't agree with it. Why? Because he's not a Christian. How many of you think that the words matter more to a Christian than to a non-Christian? Right? So it's a new language that they were learning. This is from A. Smith Palmer. One result, this is from from, uh, the Cambridge and Oxford Review. One result of the authorized version being the heir and representative of a long line of literary ancestors is the archaic tone and old-fashioned diction which lended a becoming dignity and distinction to the sacred narrative. A certain aloofness from the familiar and banal language of everyday life is felt to impart solemnity and reverence to the truths which it expresses. And it does, doesn't it? That was the purpose. That's why it was translated this way. It was not meant to be the Ebonics Bible. Have you all seen that one? Right? One of them was, you know, um, don't steal your brother's hood. It says stuff like that in the ebonics Bible. We don't need that, Amen. We don't need that because you would have for every dialect, you'd have to have a Bible, and when and it just when you change the words to fit a culture rather than a language, then you no longer have the Bible. Did y'all hear that? When you change the Bible to suit a culture rather than a language, it's no longer the Bible because the Bible is made up of words, and words have meanings. That's the point. Here's McGregor again. This slight archaism, and archaism that just means old and not used, this slight archaism in the language of the King James Bible was one of its greatest charms. The style was sufficiently modern to be plainly understood at the time, yet just old fashioned enough to carry with it the dignity of the recent past. For this and many other reasons, the King James Bible had both the appeal of a new version and the authority of the older version, of which it was technically a revision. How many of you immediately know when you're hearing the Bible? Not if it's a modern translation, you don't. It sounds just like anything else. It must not be overlooked that the English of the version of 1611, which is what was alone in use until the present generation, look. Was not truly Jacobean, so that is under the, the, the time and age of James. Or even Elizabethan, not Elizabeth, that typo there. Um, or, or even Elizabethan as in Elizabethan English. And that's what he calls it. Uh, Ward calls the King James Bible Elizabethan English, which is not true. It's not true at all. Um, or even Elizabethan, but an archaic and an, ele- an eclectic arrangement of phrases the bulk of which had come down to Andrews. So, Sir Lancelot Andrews was one of the primary translators of the King James Bible. And his colleagues from Parker, and Parker is the one who's behind the Bishop's Bible. And so, from Cranmer, he was the Archbishop. And so, from Coverdale, the Coverdale Bible and the Great Bible, and Tyndale. And so, from Wycliffe and Pervy, and represented, in fact, a modification of a medieval impression of the Vulgate. The authorized English Bible represents the tongue, look at this, of no historical period, but is an artificial product selected with exquisite care from the sacred felicities of two centuries and a half. What is What is what? What is he saying? Now, how many of you, that's harder for you to understand than the Bible, right? This one's fun. to show you when people talk about the difficulty of language, Vance points this out. Just take a look at this sentence from a recent book by an evangelical publisher titled Evangelicals and Empire, Christian Alternatives to the Political Status Quo. Okay, that's his title. Let's see if, if and this would be a person that would tell you your Bible's too hard to understand. This is fun. The label Constantinianism and the obloquies that follow have less to do with the emperor's new religion or the putative obsequiousness of Eusebius's Panjeric of Constantine, than with the cooptation of the church by the state. In other words, the, Caesar- the Caesaro Papism, perhaps best represented by Henry VIII and the ensuing Erast- Erastianism in England. Every head bowed, every eye closed. <laughs> How many of you did not understand what I just read? But you can understand your Bible. It's interesting. Now, just so you know, I can understand that. Why? Because I've studied church history. Those are terms of art. I'm sure Patrick understood pretty much everything that was in that. Because that's what we've studied. I don't expect you to know those things. And honestly, he's showing off. You don't have to use all of that to communicate what you're trying to communicate. So, the point is... When people say that the King James Bible was the language of the day and we need to update it to the language of today, they don't know what they're talking about. They don't know what they're talking about. That's not true. Now, as far as changes, we can talk about that, and we will. The issue is not your level of education. That's not the point. Again, this is from Brother Knox. Moses was educated. David was not. Daniel was educated. Elijah was not. Paul was educated. Peter was not. All were used mightily of God because they sought the Lord and his truth with all their heart. Cry out to its author. Amen? So let's look at Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 2 and look at verse 1. My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom... And apply thine heart to understanding. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge and liftest up thy voice for understanding. If thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as for hid treasures. Then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Isn't that good? Now, here's the problem. If you change the words, I'm not saying if you use a synonym. That's not the point. If you change the words, they're not the words of God. Can I say that again? If you change the words, they are not the words of God. Pastor, what are you talking about? Let me give you an example. Okay, again, this is from Lawrence Vance's book. be it this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. How many of you have heard that verse before? That's not that verse is not in any modern translation. None, NASB, ESV, NIV, any of them. New Living Translation. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. That's not in any Bible, other than the King James Bible. Not there. Matthew twenty three fourteen 14, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you can pass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. Matthew 23, that's not in any modern translation. How about this? If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. Anybody ever heard that verse? Not if you have a modern Bible. How about this? Mark nine forty four Where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Isn't it interesting the kinds of verses that are removed? But remember, have you heard this statement? There's nothing important changed. Have you ever heard that statement? Do any of, Does any of that sound important? Mark 9.46, where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. How about this? Mark 11.26, but if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. Mark 15.28, and the Scripture was fulfilled which saith, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Is that an important verse? How about this? Luke 17, 36. Two men shall be in the field, the one shall be taken, and the other left. Luke twenty-three, seventeen, for of necessity he must release one unto them at the feast. Of course, that's when they said, Give us Barabbas. How about this miracle that's removed from John 5, 4? For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. That's completely removed. And I could go on. There are so many more verses that are not there. That's what we're talking about. Does it make the Bible easier to remove those verses? It's a different agenda than the agenda that we're being told Holy cow, my time's gone. Let's go. If it's too hard to read, why do most Bible readers read it? Did you hear what I said? If it's too hard to read, then why do most Bible readers read it? What are you talking about? I thought we're the weird ones for using the King James. How many of you have kind of felt like we're the weird ones because we're King James people? Right? Here's the funny thing. This is from Mark Ward's book. One out of, out of every 100 Americans who pulled a Bible off the shelf today, 55 of them pulled down a King James Version. So of the people who read the Bible, 55% of them read a King James Bible. Well, wait a minute. Look at what he says here. I feel fairly safe in saying that the King James is the only 1611 release still on any bestseller list. But what's the rest of the story that he left out? That's from a study. The study he's citing is the Bible in American Life from Indiana University at Purdue of people who actually read the Bible. 55% read the King James Bible. Only 19% read the NIV and the rest are single digits. The New Revised Standard, 7%. The Catholic New American Bible, 6%. The Living Bible, 5%. Other And all other translations combined, 8%. Well, wait a minute. I thought everybody was reading the ESV. Maybe somebody's lying to you. How many of you, that's surprising? This whole thing right here is surprising. I love it. It is just awesome. Don't let people deceive you. Most people who read their Bible read the King James Bible. Isn't that interesting? People who love the Word and read it daily read the King James Bible. Now, I'm not saying other people don't read it. What I'm saying is the great number of people, if they're going to choose a Bible to read, they choose the King James Bible. Our Bible is not a hindrance to evangelism. We're going to lead a bunch of people to, I hope we lead 50 people to the Lord this week. You know what Bible we're going to use? Who are we leading mostly? Children. They can understand it. When it's explained to them, they can understand it. Our Bible is not a hindrance to growth. We're the largest church of this kind anywhere around here. Growing is... There are, there are churches, Paul Chapel's church has 10,000 people in it, in Los Angeles using the King James Bible. It's not a hindrance. It's not a hindrance at all. Our Bible is not only used by weirdos... I don't think that's a Bible word. So what do English scholars say about this? So George Perkins Marsh, he spoke 20 languages. He helped create the first edition of the Oxford English Dictionary as coordinator of the American Readers. All right, so a significant philologist. He said this, there's, and we're almost done, so please get this. There is one important distinction between the dialect of the Scriptures, considered as an exposition of a theology... And that of a science or profession. The sciences, all secular knowledges, in fact, are mutable and progressive, and of course, as they change and advance, their nomenclature must vary in the same proportion. The doctrine of the Bible, on the other hand, is a fixed, is a thing fixed and unchangeable, and when it has once found a fitting expression in the words of a given language, there is in general no reason why those words should not continue to be used so long as the language of which they form a part continues to exist. How about words like sanctification? Justification. They still mean the same thing they meant when they were translated into the English Bible. That's from George Marsh. So how do we read and understand the Bible? What about the these and Thou's? The King James Bible makes a distinction between the second person, you, Pronouns and adjectives relating to number. This distinction is not available to the readers in any other English version. Let's give an example of it. Where one sees the T, an individual is being addressed. Where one sees a Y, two or more persons are being addressed. So, if you're speaking to 50 people, you'd say you or ye. If you're speaking to an individual, you say the or thou. Why? Because English doesn't have, you'd have to add something to it to communicate that. So when that is removed from your Bible, even like a new King James, then you don't understand who the audience is. And in many places, if you're going to break down the meaning of the text, you really need to know that. What about the the endings, E-S-T and E-T-H? So Romans, in Romans 14, we read, 14.7, For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. Why not revise the Bible to the more easily understood, no one lives to himself, and no man dies to himself? What's the difference? The biblical Greek and Hebrew languages are equipped with something that our modern English language lacks, a way to distinguish between a verb in its past or present tense and the same verb in its active or ongoing tense. The English of the authorized version makes this distinction by the use of E-T-H and E-S-T. People didn't talk that way. That's not the way they spoke. This is something that had to be incorporated into the English to accurately communicate the original language. In Romans 14, 7, none of us liveth to himself means that life is ongoing. Such a one is in the continual process of being alive. No man dies to himself refers to the act of Dying, but this leaves us short of the meaning of the verse. Dieth tells that he is in the continual process of dying. That's what sin does. It's a continual process. Salvation is not a continual process, but it has enduring results. Eternal life, liveth. So the new Christian, this is from James Knox, so the new Christian needs but a day or two to learn this simple rule of grammar, and he can trade his past tense modern version for an active and exciting King James Version. just have to learn it. How about this? Unicorn. How many of you know the word unicorn is used six times in your Bible? And that's something that that Mark Ward, in Authorized, he mocks that. Oh, what's this mythological creature in our Bible? The silly word like unicorn. Oh, really? Is it silly? The Indian rhinoceros, rhinoceros unicornus, also called the Indian rhino, Uh, greater one-horned rhinoceros or great Indian rhinoceros. They found skeletons of these. They still live in Asia, but there was a large one. That's what it looked like. So when you talk about a wild ox, that's one of the things that that modern translators use. That's not this. They were 12 feet long. So when it talks about a unicorn, something that, that brings fear... An ox doesn't bring fear, this brings fear. As a matter of fact, uh, Julius Caesar writes about these animals and how terrifying they were. Even if you had one as a baby, it couldn't be tamed. That's what's being spoken of in your Bible, and it's the technical word for it. Archaeologist Austin Henry Laird. In his 1849 book, Nineveh and Its Remains, sketched a single-horned creature from an obelisk in company with two-horned bovine animals. He identified the single-horned animal as an Indian rhinoceros. That's from 1849. So, this is where I want to end. So, Ward begins by talking about how loved the King James Bible is and 55% read it. But that it's being, it's diminishing, and I don't know that that's true. That's not a true statement. But 55% at least read it. So, he has a chapter, which Bibles should you give your kids? So this is a quote. So back to a question I raised in the introduction, what Bible translation will I give my own kids? And the answer is, I won't give them a single translation. I'll train them, Lord willing, to appreciate multiple translations instead of expressing suspicion towards translations from other tribes. Do you see how he's using the world's language? What is our tribe? People saved out of every nation, tongue, tribe all over the world. What tribe he talking about? That doesn't have anything to do with what Bible we use. It's interesting. Does your Bible have Acts 8.37? Where the eunuch says to Philip, Here's water, what doth hinder me to be baptized? He said, If thou believest with all my heart, thou mayest. And he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's completely removed from the modern translations. So when you're trying to teach your child about baptism, which Bible are you going to use? Which translation are you going to use? Does it matter? Yeah. Yeah, those 50 million people that died in the Dark Ages over believer's baptism, they thought it was important. Maybe they were just stupid. They didn't have Mark Ward's book. I will express curiosity and interest and gratitude. This is still his quote. I'll teach my progeny. Isn't that a kind of a complicated word for a simple book? That there's a good reason for the little differences between Bible translations. Little differences? Without controversy? Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. The only verse in the Bible that says that. They take it out. They change it. That's a little. That's a little change. He's a liar. I'm trying not to be mean he said this i finally came to realize that my whole quest in comparing the esv and the nasb was based on a bad idea a faulty premise there's no point in anointing one translation as superior to all others any more than there is in trying to prove that hammers are better than screwdrivers hammers don't claim to be screwdrivers all these translations claim to be the bible How many of you can see that his reasoning is not very good? Is that a good analogy? Honestly, is that a a well thought out? How many of you teachers who teach logic would give that a good grade? What do you mean one translation can't be superior to another? Only if the words don't matter. Ward's real agenda appears at the end of his book. Quote, for public preaching ministry, for evangelism, for discipleship materials, indeed for most situations outside individual study, using the KJV violates Paul's instructions in 1 Corinthians 14. What's First Corinthians 14 about? Speaking in tongues. Don't speak in tongues if there's not somebody to translate. This is translated in English is our tongue. I honestly believe any preacher that is influenced by this book wanted to change, because these arguments are so childish that they cannot persuade any thinking person who has any understanding of the subject or its history. Here's what he said: This is again his word. The value of the vernacular of tra- vernacular translation is so great that we must fight to protect it. Even if that means letting that trend line from 100% to 55% continue. Remember, the King James used to be 100%, he said. Now it's down to 55%. Even if it means helping that trend line along, we need God's word in our language, not in someone else's. So what is his real agenda? Diminish the use of the King James Bible. That's not our agenda. We want to study it. We have the word of God in our language. They are not archaic words. They're Bible words. If 55 Remember, an archaic word is a word that's no longer used. If 55% of Bible reading, readers are using it, they're not archaic. How many of you get that logic? We are able to learn their meanings. If you see the word Coney, it's not a hot dog. Some kind of furry creature. It's an animal. It's a, it's a rabbit, a marmot, whatever, little rodent. Something we'll have for lunch later. The archaic words. Only if you're going to Taco Bell. The archaic words are not the real agenda behind Bible translation. Are is the King James Bible too hard to read? The answer is no. Is it harder to read than some other translations? Yes. But the issue is not ease of use. The issue is truth. Are those verses, those 16 verses that are gone from every modern translation, the 21 verses that are missing from most translations? And so, so imagine this. Let's say, well, let's do the outside that there are 600 archaic words in the Bible. 600. Why are there 30,000 changes in the modern translations? How many of you know that 30,000 is more than 600? If you can do that math, raise your, if you can do that math, stand up and we'll be done. The King James Bible is not too hard to understand. But as we talked about in the Sunday school hour, none of it matters if you're not born again. Man, if you're using an NIV, you get saved, praise God for that. We're going to be in heaven together. We love you. You're a brother in Christ. You're a sister in Christ. If you're not saved, if you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ alone for your eternal life, ask him to save you today. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word, Father, help us to learn it better. Help us to study it more.